1: Support for today's show comes from PrepDish, a healthy subscription-based meal planning service. This is what we need, you guys, to start the school year. No more thinking about your meals. Let's let PrepDish do the planning for you. Sign up with PrepDish and you're going to receive an email that includes a grocery list plus prep ahead instructions so all of your meals are ready for the week. No guesswork needed. Girls, this is what we need for meet the teacher night, football practice, Girl Scouts, all kinds of things. Right now, Allison, the founder of PrepDish, is offering you $4 for a month on trial. That's right. You get to try it out for only a dollar per week. Go to prepdish.com slash happy hour to get your first month of Prep Dish for only $4. Friends, you are listening to episode number 208. And my guest for today is Katie Davis Majors. Katie may be best known for being mama to 14 daughters in Uganda and her work with Amazama Ministries. Today, we chat a little about her journey to living in Africa how she turned down dates with her now husband twice before a month later, awkwardly asking him to consider her again, and what God has done in her life as she's walked through adoption and death of loved ones. Listen to what she shares about that
2: you're not necessarily blessed just when He answers your prayers. You know, you can be very much blessed with the relationship you find with God in a very, very difficult and dark place. And I found myself clinging to Him in a way that I hadn't had to before. And I found myself looking to Him and worshiping Him and seeking Him more than I would when life was
1: easy. You're going to really enjoy our conversation today. Guys, before we get to the conversation with Katie, I want to tell you about my Facebook page. Are you guys over there? Are you on Facebook? Have you liked my Facebook page? You know, this fall, we're gearing up for a full fall with lots of opportunities to connect with you, our friends. I'd love for you to be a part of our Facebook conversations and live chats. If you're currently a follower of our Happy Hour or our book club, Facebook groups, but not following my page, Jamie Ivy, you're going to want to jump on over Facebook and go follow me. We're going to be moving all of our fun over to that Jamie Ivy profile to make it easy for all of our friends and your friends to share the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between that we talk about on these shows. To find me on Facebook, it's super easy. Search for Jamie Ivy, give my page a thumbs up to follow me, or just go to jamieivy.com/slash/facebook. All right, friends, here's my conversation with Katie. Katie, welcome to the Happy Hour. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here as well. And so I know things about you, but my listeners might not know. So go ahead and just introduce us to you and your family and where you live and what you do. (laughs)
2: Yeah, I'm Katie and I live in Uganda. So about on the other side of the world. Yes. (laughs) Yes. yes. Um, I live here with my husband and our 14 children. Our 13 oldest are adopted and then we just added our son Oh, they're all adopted and they're all girls. So that's a that's a big part of it. And then we just added our son about two years ago. So we live and work here and we're engaged in several different ministries. One that's really big on our hearts is that we're involved in a house church movement. My husband is an elder in our church that meets in our home. And our heart there really is to invite locals in to a church environment where you don't need A building and you don't need a sound system and you don't need to be an expert, but to show them that people can gather together around the word and love each other in community and fellowship. And so that's a big part of our hearts and our lives right now. I also am the founder of Mazima, which is a ministry that I started about 10 years ago it's a ministry with the idea of family preservation. So our goal is to keep children in their families by providing for the families financially. We also provide the families with a mentor who is a trained social worker, but also has the focus of wanting to disciple these families and draw them to know the Lord and share with them and just do everyday life with them. So Amazima is also a huge part of my life and my heart. I don't really run it anymore, which I'm super thankful for. I got to turn that hat over to an amazing team, but I still get to be really involved. And at Amazima, about a year and a half ago, we opened up our secondary school. um, And our heart there is the same and the mission is the same. We just want to go deeper in relationship with these teenagers that we're raising up and really um, be able to pour the gospel into their lives and be able to influence them on a really intimate level. So that
1: has been super exciting as well. Okay, I just need to say that you're 29. You haven't even hit 30 yet. And you just accomplished so much. <laughs> Katie, I feel like, as you know, your elder, that seems so dumb, but I just turned 40. I'm like <laughs> looking at it and I'm like, I'm so proud of you. And I know that like your family feels that and everything, but I really, really, really um, love what God has done through you and your husband uh, and your ministry there and all the things that you guys are doing. And so you're, I just can't wait to see what you guys do in your 30s.
2: No, well, thank you. Everyone keeps telling me how great the 30s are. So I'm, I'm very
1: excited to find 30s out. 30s are amazing. That was my favorite decade so far of my three, I guess I've had. What uh, everyone says. Yes. But I'm like going into 40 with just ready. I'm like, if 30 was awesome, 40 is going to be amazing. Uh, so you're going to rock your 30s. I agree. I agree. Um, okay. So I, today we're going to chat about all kinds of things. I'm going to hear about your family, about how your, you and your husband met, how you added 13 girls to your family and all the things. Um, So let's get going. Okay.
2: I guess as a Westerner, I had always thought that if you lived in an orphanage, you didn't have parents or you didn't have relatives. And so it was surprising to me to understand that in East Africa, about 80% Of children in orphanages are just there because of poverty. They have parents or family who are willing to take care of them and would love to take care of them, but they can't afford that. And so um, just slowly as I started meeting different kids, I would meet their parents or their guardians or the grandparents and ask the question, like, if you had the financial ability to raise this child, would you do that? And, you know, unanimously, everybody said, yes, Uganda is such a hospitable culture, such a generous culture. I mean, these people know how to take care of their people. They just can't always afford to. And so I started sponsoring... Two little girls. I started paying for them to go to school. And because they had their school fees paid for, they could go and live with their grandmother. They didn't have to live in the orphanage anymore. And as I was talking, you know, I was talking to my parents on the phone about this and was like, okay, for this ridiculously small amount of money, Uh you know, like a couple hundred dollars a year these kids can live at home. Like they don't even have to live in this orphanage where they're one of 120 kids with like six caregivers, you know? Uh, And as I started talking to my parents about it and friends and different family members from back home, I was just surprised at the response of people who said like, oh, I'll do that. I'll do that. Yeah. I'll give I'll give you some money for that. And so Amazima was kind of born really organically in that way of just seeing a need and wanting to meet it and then having people kind of lock arms with me. And within that first year that I lived here, we had 40 kids sponsored. Mm. And once it was 40 kids, I kind of thought like, oh, we better make this a thing. Cause you know, you can't really just like be <laughs> collecting this amount of money and <laughs> handing it out in Uganda. So um that's what, you know, that's when we started the whole nonprofit deal. And then, also, towards the end of the first year that I lived here, some children I was in relationship with through this sponsorship program they um, had lost their parents but were living with their grandmother and so I was helping sponsor them so that they could stay with their grandmother. but then they sadly were in an accident and shortly after lost their grandmother and so they didn't have a caregiver or a home and you know, kind of the same way that Ma started. And I said, like, I will help with that. I said, like, okay, mm-hmm. well, you know, you can stay with me while we figure out our next steps. And for the first time in the full year, I encountered three children who actually didn't have anywhere to go. There weren't any viable family members who could take care of them. There wasn't a home. And so I began the legal process to foster them. And a couple years later, the legal process to adopt them. And, yeah, now they're mine, um, okay. <laughs> along, along with Katie's. a lot of people.
1: <laughs> Katie, so many things right now are going through my head. Um, this is all when you were 18, 19 years old.
2: Yeah, I would have been 19, almost 20 okay. at the time, but still. Okay,
1: so let's go back a little bit to your mom and you taking this trip to Uganda. Mm-hmm. Um I remember I've interviewed somebody on my show before, um, Sarah Harmeyer, a couple of years ago, and she told me about her parents letting them go spend a substantial amount of time as a teenager in another country and how it just radically formed her into who she is today. And I remember thinking when I was talking to her, God, I want to be that kind of parent. Like I want to be, I want to pray like, God, you do what you want with my kids and their life is yours. And if they live overseas or if they be whatever, you know, so- Talk to me about the transition from your family at home to I'm going to go live in Uganda for a year because I think it speaks to a lot about your parents. And so tell me real quick about that transition and basically how your parents set you up so that you would be a woman who was strong and think I can go do this because that's not normal, you know, and I think it's just really it says something about your parents and about their trust in God with your life. For sure, and
2: thank you for asking that. I think um, the older I get, and the more and more I parent, the more I realize how really very extraordinary my parents are, um, and I, I mean I mean that so truly. I think first of all, you know, we grew up in a pretty wealthy area in a very affluent home, but my parents were always really quick to point that out. Um, you know, we we didn't think that this was the normal standard of living. And my parents were quick to let us know that there were people who didn't have as much as we did and quick to find us service opportunities, both in the church and with local organizations. I mean, we we did all kinds of things. You know, we served in the homeless program at our church and we took Christmas baskets to families that wouldn't be able to afford a Christmas dinner. And my mom and I worked together at a halfway house downtown and they were always just very service oriented. And they raised me and my brother to be service oriented. And so, I mean, I think it's because of them that I always had that in my heart and in my mind. And that was always something that I desired to do because I had grown up that way. And they both were were really set on following your dreams. You know, they're both very strong people who have overcome a lot in their lives. And they wanted to see that for their children. But, you know, it wasn't until having my own children that I realized really what a huge sacrifice that was for them to hear their daughter say, like, hey, this is my dream. And, Uh you know, as a parent, there's part of you that's like, yeah, I wanted you to follow your dreams, but uh, (laughs) not really that far away. Not that far. Exactly. Um, Exactly. You know, and I mean, there's still, there's a lot they've sacrificed with that. You know, they're they're so generous and they come and visit us as often as they can, but that is still not the amount of time that they would Uh like to be. Seeing their grandkids. For you know? sure. um, For sure. But they were, you know, they were so supportive. I sat down with them. I think on my 16th birthday was the first time I said like, you know, I think I'd be interested in doing missions overseas. And they said, okay, great. You know, what does that look like? And even um, that's what my mom got me for my 18th birthday were these two big pink suitcases with our tickets to Uganda tied on top of them oh, uh, because uh-huh. we're going to go on this trip together. And so I think I just see so much self-sacrifice in that. That is such a hard decision for a parent to make, but they were always always behind me. And then when I moved back over here, after I finished high school, my dad came with me because he said, you're not going to go live for a year in a place that I haven't seen.
1: Right.
2: (laughs) I think he had had a pretty good talking to with the pastor that I was staying with, you know, this is my little girl and you will take care of her. Um, (laughs) So, I mean, I recognize it was a sacrifice for them for sure, but um, they are strong in their faith. And I think they also believed that this was God ordained. And I think that they have gotten to see the fruits of that.
1: Mm. You mentioned you think about your parents now that you're a mom. I'm telling you, Katie, every time it's time for like dinner at my house, (laughs) I think how did my mom was a working mom and I work, but from home, you know, so my mom worked every day. She drove 45 minutes home. I remember her making dinner every day. And I think to myself, how did she do it's this? Amazing. Like, yes. How <laughs> amazing. Yes, yes. Um, I can't even get to the grocery store most of the days. But <laughs> anyhow, okay. So you go back and you decide, um, you do your gap year and you fall in love. And then I'm assuming you go home. And what made you say, I actually am going to go back and I'm going to stay for longer than I thought?
2: Um, I went home because I had the ticket <laughs> and yeah. because I had, I had said that I would go home, but I think I knew even leaving that I would come back. You know, at the time, um, Amazima had several children we were sponsoring already, and I had hired part-time a Ugandan lady who had helped me get things running. Um, you know, I, I had fallen in love with these kids, and it just it felt like normal life. And to be back in the States did not feel like normal life. And I don't think, I mean, honestly, and somehow selfishly, I don't think it felt nearly as purposeful. And I think once you have lived in a very purposeful season of life, it's really hard to do anything else. And so I, I think I was pretty bound and determined to come back before I even got out of here.
1: So did you get much pushback from adults maybe in your life who thought, you need to come back, you need to go to college, what are you doing? Did you get that from people?
2: Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I think definitely that was my parents' feeling at first, and you know, just out of a heart that they wanted good things for me, and and that's sure. what we know, right? Is that you have to get this education so that you can get a good job and make it in the world. And I, I think you know they just they wanted good for their kids, and so um, they pushed that a little bit. I don't think there were a ton of, of adults in my life who were really surprised by this. I think a lot of people that had. Watched me grow up and seen my heart and seen the things that I was involved in, even in the states, kind of went like, "Oh, yeah, this makes okay, sense. Yeah. 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 yeah, this I'm makes surprised. sense." And I think. um, I mean, I think my parents pushed back because they were concerned for my safety and my future well-being, but I think they saw it too. You know, and I remember even my dad saying to me, like, I'm, you know, I'm not going to get in God's way here. So if this is what he's telling you to do, like, and, and I think by that time, you know, he was feeling pretty confirmed as well that God had confirmed that for him. And so he was teary eyed, but he, you know, he ultimately gave his blessing.
1: Which you can understand that now as a parent as well. Like I think about that with my kids and I'm like, Oh, of course it would be. Yes, yes, yes. But I would be
0: today.
1: Okay. So Katie, in these 10 years, you have accomplished a lot. We already said that. You've also written two books. Mm -hmm. The first one that you wrote was Kisses from Katie. And then you wrote Daring to Hope, which just released almost a year ago. And in your latest book, Daring to Hope, you talk about some hard times that you have endured in your personal life and then your ministry and how you kind of had to come to grips with, okay, God, if these things are happening, Are you are you really good? Do you really Mm -hmm. love us? Let's talk through some of that because what what has life handed you there that has had you come to these crossroads of going, God, are you still good? And do you still love me? What what are some things that you've endured?
2: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I feel like kisses from Katie released and that kind of put me on the map as far as like I don't know a kind of semi famous Christian person, which is like a very Uh strange world that you know about. Um, (laughs) Yes. But – Really, pretty soon after that, um, God just pulled our family into a very, very difficult season. And I think He did that, you know, with great purpose and intention, allowed us to experience some of that hardship because that really invited me to a place where I felt like, you know, it didn't matter what the public was saying about, wow, this kid and all the amazing things she's doing. It was only God, you know, who saw me and knew my heart and knew how much I was struggling. Probably the first in that series of events was that we um, had a little girl that we had been fostering for several years and very similar to my other girls. You know, our ministry is all focused on family reunification and family preservation. Uh, You know, we've got 700 kids in that ministry that are with their families, you Uh know, and we're doing that in a big way. But also for my 13 and, you know, a handful of others over the years that have been adopted and fostered by local families, sometimes that ideal is not possible. And so there was a little girl that we had been fostering and very much the same as my other girls. We couldn't find any family members and we had put advertisements in the paper and on the radio and there just wasn't anybody willing to care for this little girl. And so she had lived with us for many years and I was in the process of finalizing her adoption when her birth mother showed up. She had been in Kenya and she came back to Uganda and tracked us down and showed up at my door and said, I would like my little girl back. And, you know, of course... Even as someone who loves the idea of reunification, I fought against this because I think in my mind and in my heart, she was already mine. Um, she had lived with us for so long. She felt like as much of a part of our family as any of my other children. And ultimately the birth mother did take her back and we, um, our family walked really closely with them in that transition and visited a lot. But you know, I think for a long time during that process, I, um, I prayed for what I wanted Mm -hmm. and not God's best. Um, I just wanted what I wanted. And that was that I wanted my little girl and I didn't Mm -hmm. really care, um, what that looked like, (laughs) but I wanted her. Um, you know, and I think God really showed me that, you're not necessarily blessed just when He answers your prayers. You know, you can be very much blessed with the relationship you find with God in a very, very difficult and dark place. And I found myself clinging to Him in a way that I hadn't had to before. And I found myself looking to Him and worshiping Him and seeking Him more than I would when life was easy. And so I feel like He just began teaching me who he is in these dark places, you know, and who he is when we are questioning him and when we are not sure that he is good and how he is so faithful to show himself. And that doesn't necessarily mean that he is going to answer the prayer the way you wanted to, you know, but he is so faithful to be near to us in our
1: hurt. Mm -hmm. Just get our timeline straight. Were you already married when this went down? No, this was a couple of years before I was married. So,
4: okay, that made it harder
1: in a lot
2: of ways, but also um I don't know, in some ways I think that loneliness is so good for us in that we mm. cry out to God in a way that we wouldn't. I mean, I just know I wouldn't have leaned on the Lord the way I had to if I had been married because naturally I, you know, I would have leaned on my husband and that's great and beautiful too, but the fact that I got to process so much of this like only with God, I think was really good for my heart.
1: Mm. When you said, you know, loneliness is good for us. I think that is a concept that, well, that scares me. Like when you say that, I like start sweating. I'm like, I don't want to be lonely. Um, but you're right. When we look back at seasons, when we have just had to rely on God and God alone, there's so much growth that happens in those seasons as well. And it sounds like that has been a lot of your experience from this book that you're writing about at your time in Uganda, a, really, really having to say, God, you are my sustainer right now. Like this is it.
2: Absolutely, And, um, you know, that difficult season kind of continued shortly after that. um, We had two different people come to stay with us, people who were pretty sick. And our house is right down the street from the local hospital. And so oftentimes if a parent or guardian of one of the kids in our sponsorship program is really sick and needs to be closer to the hospital, because a lot of these families live kind of far out where they don't have access to medical care, we will, you know, let them just come and stay in our guest rooms and, um, then they have access to what they need. And we had two women back to back about a year apart from each other that came to stay and seemed to be getting better and better. And then pretty suddenly ended up passing away. And so, um, I felt like the lonely season was long yeah, (laughs) Um, because there was what was going on with Jane, our foster daughter. And then there were these deaths kind of back to back. And the first woman who came to stay with us came with her five children and they were all little. And so that, I mean, was so excruciatingly hard. And, um, you know, I prayed, I prayed and I prayed with all my heart, believing that Jesus would heal her. And I did. I did believe that and I, I still believe that he could have, but he didn't. Um, and what do you do with that? You know, what do you, what do you do when you spend hours crying out for Jesus to heal someone and he doesn't? Like, where is a good God then? Where is a good God when you are looking at five kids under the age of eight and you have to tell them that they don't have a mom anymore? Mm. But I feel like. You know, just going back to that idea of of the loneliness, I, I feel like God showed me. You know, no one understands that. You know, there's nobody that you talk to, not even your closest friends, when you say, "Like, yeah, the woman who lived in our living room died." Like, nobody,
4: mm-hmm. nobody yeah, knows no.
2: what you're talking about. Um, right. And so, and nobody knows, you know, what it's like to try to shepherd thirteen kids through that kind of loss, either, or even try to still get. Dinner on the table and create a semblance of normal life when you've got friends who are dying, and your Mm. kids' friends, their mom is dying, you know. And I, but I just feel like because of those different scenarios, God had to be, you know, the only place that I could turn. He was the only place that I could turn. He was the only one who really understood, you know, at the end of the day, I didn't have to explain
1: what it felt like. And, um, so where did you get on the other side of that? You said, you I beg and beg and beg, Jesus heal her. And then he doesn't. How how do you, what do you do with that when that's all said and done?
2: Yeah, isn't that the great question of life? <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah. And really, I mean, that was kind of what spurred me on to write the recent book, Daring to Hope, is, is just that question. You know, who mm-hmm. is a good God when your prayers go unanswered? And I just believe that... Um, I saw so clearly, you know, in the midst of such pain and such grief and such hurt around me, God was near to me. He just was. It wasn't something that I can explain to you. I did not hear his audible voice, but I felt his presence in our home So, so much more closely than I ever had before than Mm -hmm. I ever have since, you know, and I think that that's where I landed is like, God doesn't always give us what we ask for, but he does not ignore our pain and he is with us in it and he is growing our hearts. And so that gives me comfort. You know, it doesn't make it all better. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that I don't wish that Catherine hadn't died. Yeah. I do wish that. I wish that she hadn't died. I see her kids still multiple times a week. And I, I wish that she was here, you know, watching them grow up with me. And I don't think, you know, I don't think that God doesn't want us to grieve that. I think sometimes we're kind of tricked into thinking that if we're in a season of grief or mourning, or that if I even have the audacity to say, like, God, I wish it didn't go that way. I think we feel like that's not allowed. You know, like, like we shouldn't say that to God or maybe he'll be mad. (laughs) Um, But he's not mad. You know, look at the Psalms. We can share our hearts. We can pour out our hearts. And I felt that during that time too, that I could bring my honest and raw emotion to God and say, you know what? I am angry that you let this woman die. And I feel like you did not hear me and you did not pay attention to us And I felt like God could take it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I felt like that didn't push him away. And if I got angry at him, he didn't get angry back at me. He loved me, you know? The same way that when my two-year-old is throwing a tantrum, I almost can't help but laugh because his tantrum is so cute. (laughs) Um, You know, like I love him. I love him when he's throwing his tantrum. I just want to squeeze him and kiss his little face. Um, And I feel like, you know, we can bring our hearts to God. He sees them anyway. Right. And he loves us regardless. And I just, like I said, I just, I felt his presence and I felt that he was near and it was so undeniable that, you know, there wasn't anything that I could do other than keep putting
1: my faith in him. Yeah. You know, it's a very common conversation that we have here on the happy hour when people who have walked through some sort of suffering, I think every woman has said the exact same thing. And it is just such a testimony of God with us in the midst of our suffering is they have all said, I felt so close and near to him Mm -hmm. in those moments. Mm -hmm. And I cannot help but just thinking like, this is actually what God says he'll do for us. Like he says, I will be near to you when you're broken. And then when we're in it, we're like, oh my gosh, it's true. You are so near to me. And I'm still so sad and so angry. But he can take it. He can take it, just like you said. Hey, guys, I know you're loving my conversation, but I want to first take a few minutes to thank our sponsors because they make the show possible. First, I want to thank Coffee and Crayons, a back-to-school podcast from Target and Slate Studios. You know, summer camps are wrapping up. Our kids are ready for school. Some of them, mine were. Parents, we're ready for our kids to go back to school. I know I was. But we know that getting ready for a new school year is about more than backpacks and stocking up on string cheese and rulers and notebook paper. It's time for parents to set up their kids for success and give them support that they need to thrive. But you know what, guys? We know everyone needs support, even parents. And who better to help that than fellow moms and dads? On Coffee and Crayons, host and parent Mallory Caston is everyone's back-to-school wing mom. In each episode, Mallory talks compassion, creativity, and inclusion with parenting influencers and everyday people. They'll give tips like how you can teach your kid to accept and to support children's special needs and disabilities. And tell the story about how a weak-ankled dad overcame his own fears to teach his son to skateboard and pursue his extreme sport passion. Subscribe now to Coffee and Crayons on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. The next person I want to thank is Simple Habit. Simple Habit is a five minute meditation app designed to help busy people achieve more and live better in a series of guided programs. With only five minutes a day, it can help you reduce stress, improve focus, relax faster, breathe easier, and so much more. They have meditation guides for specific lifestyles or symptoms, all designed by the world's best teachers that range from mindfulness experts at Google to former monks. You can browse over a thousand different topics, create customized playlists, and set daily reminders so that you can live at ease. This is perfect for a busy lifestyle with an on-the-go feature to quickly calm your nerves and anxiety to achieve a sense of mindfulness. I've enjoyed using this app for those last few minutes before my kids get home from school. It really helps me calm down and focus and be ready to be mama when they walk through the door. Simple Habit even has customized playlists for when you sleep. I really enjoyed this one to kind of calm my mind down, make it stop moving so that at nighttime I can go to bed. I love that part of this app. For a free seven-day trial to the premium library, visit simplehabit.com slash happy hour. That's simplehabit.com slash happy hour for a free seven-day trial to the premium library. Okay, guys, here's the rest of my conversation with Katie. Katie, I want to hear, and I know everyone's wondering, because we haven't even touched on it. You've mentioned that you have, you know, just a plethora of children um, Mm -hmm. and you're married, but I want to know this. You, You told us earlier about the three children, how you started fostering them, and then you started the process to adopt them. Is that how it went down with all of them? You saw that, okay, these actually kids, we can't help them with the sponsorship program because there is no next of kin to help them. And then you thought, I'll just be their mom. Is that how it went down?
2: Yeah, for sure. Um over, you know, the course of the next several years there were children that I was in relationship with either just because they were living in our community or nearby or they were part of the sponsorship program and sometimes family members died and, you know, they were already kind of on their last family member that they could be placed with. And so kind of a bunch of different reasons, but all the similar outcome of there was no biological family that we could find that would be a good or a safe fit. And so usually You know, that would look like me saying, okay, well, I'll foster them temporarily and we'll see what we can come up with. And then after, you know, a certain amount of time or when it was made clear that this wasn't going to happen, uh, I would begin the legal process to adopt them. And with some, that was a really long process. And with some, I feel like God made it very clear on the front end. I think it's interesting and you probably will understand this as an adoptive mother. You know, uh, I don't feel like... It was love at first sight, mm-hmm. you know. I I don't, I don't feel like there was this miraculous and instant connection. I feel like it was a lot more work than that, and I feel like it was this really conscious choosing. And to me, that is really, really a beautiful thing, and that is something that I cherish in my relationships with them because the coolest thing happens, and it's that you try for so long, and then suddenly one day you don't have to try anymore, you know, and you just love them with all of you and there's not anything you could do to stop it. And so, yeah, I did. I feel like I fell in love with them um, over a period of choosing love. And
1: yeah, that's kind of our story. I think, Katie, sometimes there is this glamorized idea of adoption, which I'm sure you're very aware of. You and I both (laughs) know this. (laughs) Um, But also on the flip side, I remember I kind of woke up about four years ago and had this kind of revelation and I'm super, super embarrassed that it took me this long because my kids have been home. My last two that joined our family have been here for eight years. And so, you know, halfway into me being their mama. And I thought to myself, you know what? This is probably hard for them too. Like, I, Mm -hmm. I think I have like, you know, had these ideas that this is so hard for me. This is so hard. And then one day I thought, God, you know, pointed it out to me very graciously, Jamie, this hasn't been the easiest road for them either. And so I think it's good to have a conversation about that as well, like you and I are, that this sometimes it takes work on both parties part, you know, like your kids and my kids and us all working together to figure this family thing out. For
2: sure. I, I agree completely and I, I feel saddened sometimes that there has been, become, such this romanticized idea of adoption that it would be, you know, oh, and then I laid eyes on that child and I knew that that was my child. You know, I think we hear that enough times that adoptive mothers feel guilty when they don't feel that. Um, And just like you said, recognizing how difficult it is for the child, you know, adoption is beautiful. I believe it is a redemptive gift from God, but it's not God's first choice because that child was born to someone else else, you know? And so anytime adoption has to happen, it's beautiful and wonderful. Yes. But there has been some kind of tragedy in that child's life. There has to have been. Um, yep. and God, you know, God is in the business of making beautiful things out of broken things. And I believe he uses adoption to do that. But I think we're very naive when we overlook the fact that that there has been huge pain and huge trauma and huge loss in our child's life that we cannot fix. Mm -hmm. And we want to, you know, we want it to just be like, "Hmm, I'm your new mom, all better now. But
3: that's
2: (laughs) so silly, you know. Um, And I I think we're wise when we remember like, this is huge. This is a huge adjustment for this child and something very difficult has happened in this child's life. Even if it was when they, they were an infant, it happened, yep. you know?
1: Yeah. I always say adoption is so beautiful, but it's always built on loss. Every single time yes. a child is adopted, even like, you know, one of our kids was adopted domestically. So we were there when he was born. We brought him home, you know, five days later. It still was built on loss. And so it is right. good to talk right. about. Now, is Uganda open for adoption right now or is it closed? Uganda is a very difficult
2: country to adopt from. And to be very honest, unless you can live here, I would not recommend it. Um, It is technically open, but it is not HEG accredited. So anybody who's familiar with kind of the boom that happened in Ethiopia several years ago, something Mm -hmm. similar is kind of starting to happen in Uganda. And unfortunately, because it's not an accredited country, there's just a lot of um, that gets kind of brushed under the rug or hidden. The law now requires that you live in country for a full year before you can bring a child home. So, you know, hopefully that will help. With more things being brought into the light, but you know, yeah, I would say if there's anybody you know who has a heart for adoption and is you know really wanting to look into it, I would probably not look into Uganda unless the Lord has made that like very very clear. Um, I have people ask me that a lot because obviously my kids are from Uganda, so they say like, okay. "Oh, cool, I'll adopt from Uganda," and I'm like, <laughs> uh. unless you're ready to move, I would say <laughs> maybe
1: not." <laughs> Right. And just, I feel like I say this a lot too, and I bet you do as well after what you just said. If you are adopting internationally, do your homework, do your homework, do your homework.
2: Yes, for sure. Because I mean, it's just, it's so hard to know,
1: you know, Um,
2: I've lived here, for almost 11 years now. And with, with those of my children who have a few biological relatives, which a lot of them do, uh, we do keep in touch with them, but yeah, I'm learning new stuff every day. And I think there's something really beautiful. I've had the unique experience of having adopted children, but being able to raise them in their culture and not mine. And so, I mean, our home is is a pretty solid mix of both, I would say. I mean, like we certainly eat pizza from time to time. And so that's my culture. Uh Um, But, uh, you know, I think I've had that very beautiful privilege. And I think it's really wonderful when people who do adopt from a different culture get to
1: learn Mm -hmm. about their child's culture and heritage so that they have something to teach them, you know? Yes, for sure. For sure. We are like, we love that you were born in Haiti. It's amazing. Okay. So how did you meet your husband? Cause I know that you knew him before, like all those things, but tell me how you live in Uganda and you fall in love and get married and all the things. Yeah. So,
2: um, you know, what's so funny is Benji actually grew up like 20 or 30 minutes away from me and we never met each other. Oh. And then he came over here, Oh, it's been about seven years now. He came over here. Originally, he came over and was volunteering at an orphanage with kids for special needs. And then he really felt like... There were all these ministries in our area geared toward women and all these ministries in our area geared toward children and not a lot geared toward raising up men. And if there's anything that this country needs badly, it's some God fearing men to step up and lead their homes and lead their wives and lead their children. And so, um, he became really, really passionate about Ugandan men and just sharing them the gospel and sharing them with them principles of biblical manhood and what that looks like. And so he he left and then he moved back over here shortly after to begin his men's ministry and was discipling just a handful of young men all the time, meeting with them in their homes and doing group Bible studies. And I started to get to know him through that. You know, we went to the same small group and I mean, they're at the time, there's a larger expat community here. But seven years ago, there wasn't really a large expat community here. So you just kind of, you know, bumped into the same people all the time. Yeah. Uh-huh. And there was also a friend of ours was staying. Um, he was staying in one. of We have this like small house. It's not really a house. It's like a row of rooms in our backyard. Okay. It's three uh-huh. bedrooms and a bathroom. But I always feel strange when I'm about to say, like, we had this man living with us because it's like important <laughs> right. for people to understand that he wasn't living inside my house with my daughters. Right. That um, <laughs> he was staying in one of the guest rooms that's, like, not attached to our house, but in our yard. Um, and he was a recovering alcoholic and had recently become sober. And I just, I really, really wanted him to know the gospel and really felt like maybe I wasn't really the correct person to be spending all that time with him. And so I had reached out to Benji and he started spending a ton of time around our house, just discipling this man. And to be honest, like for a long time, he asked me out and I said, no, thank you. But Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, it was kind of all in the middle of our really difficult season. And I think I was just feeling like I can't even add another thing or another person. Um, But I think, I mean, I was just so impressed with one, like he was so respectful of that. You know, he was not, he didn't push it. It was just kind of like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to keep discipling this man in your backyard. So see you around. (laughs) back. And he was just, he was such a consistent friend to myself. He was such a consistent friend to my family. You know, he would finish up hanging out with David and then he would be out there teaching one of my kids how to ride their bike or playing a game of soccer. Or, you know, he would stop in from time to time and I'd be like not able to reach my light bulb and he would change it for me. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and so, yeah, slowly but surely, I just, I mean, I so admired his faithfulness. And I so admired his relationship with the Lord. And I've always been a very independent person. I was going to say fairly independent, but I don't (laughs) even think that's accurate. I think it's very independent. And I, you know, for years had made all the decisions for my own household and my own ministry and really kind of suddenly found myself like always wanting to know his opinion. Before I made a decision, or you know, always asking him for wisdom, and really felt like this is a person, like this is a person I could follow, this is a person I could do life with, and yeah. I don't really think that about people usually. <laughs> You're
4: like, so, I can do it all
2: myself. Yes. <laughs> so that was that was from God that you know that I would even feel like I needed and wanted to depend mm-hmm. on somebody. So we got married. Okay. Well, I do have to ask. Did he ask you out again? Oh my gosh, this is so embarrassing, but. No. So he asked me out twice, and both times I said no. And they were like six months apart. Uh, But the second time I said no, I said it like kind of sternly. (laughs) And so he really kind of even backed off our friendship, which now, you know, now I see as super wise. Of course, like, of course you would. Why would we deepen in friendship if I kept saying no? And so he then kind of made himself scarce for a while, and he was still. Spending time in the Word with David occasionally, you know, if he was around my girls, they'd play a game or something. We still went to the same small group, but we would just kind of pass each other. And to be honest, like, I missed my friend and I Mm -hmm. missed the consistency of his friendship. And so I, like, talked my best girlfriend's ear off about it for months. I mean, I was like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know if I should. I mean, he's never going to ask me out again. I am going to have to ask him out (laughs) like this is about to happen to me. Um, And I think after about six months of that, she just said like, look, you got to talk to him because I'm not talking to you about him anymore. (laughs) She's like,
1: I'm tired of hearing about this. Go talk to him.
2: (laughs) I am done. Um, Well, and so these are like our very best friends here. And at the time, her fiance, the guy that she was about to marry was actually Benji's roommate. So I also like talked to her about it all the time because I was like trying to get information, you know?
1: For sure. Yeah, we know
2: how this goes. Like, is he seeing someone? Do you know? Could you ask him (laughs) to find out? Um, so anyway, finally I called him and I said, Hey, will you, do you want to have coffee with me in the morning? And he said, no, thank you. Oh, no. <laughs> and I was like, you know, cause he's probably thinking like, well, that's not really something I do. Like, I don't really have right. like coffee with women who are not interested yes. in me. Um, <laughs> So I I like really kind of begged, like, no, I have some important things. Like, I need to talk to you, please. And he was like, okay, fine, I'll come over. Well, then he came over and I was so nervous that I made like stupid small talk, probably for an hour. (laughs) So after about an hour, he's like, okay, well, I'm going to (laughs) go. I don't know why I'm here. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. You got to say it. So I like walked him out the door and I don't even know what I said. I mean, it was like the words wouldn't come out, you know, it was something like, uh, so, um, I was thinking maybe would you want to like spend some more time together? And we could get to know each other, you know, something really silly. Yeah. And he said, like dating. And I said, yeah. And he said, okay, well, I'm going to think about it and I'm going to pray about it and I'll let you know. And then he left. So I was like mortified. I was like, Oh my gosh, he doesn't even like me anymore. (laughs) Yeah. I threw it all away. (sighs) But he did come back a couple days later and then he asked me out that time. So, (sighs) and so then how long did y'all date? Mm, let's see, we dated probably eight ish months. And then we were engaged for another nine. Not that that's something that I recommend, but we got married here in Uganda. And so we were trying to coordinate like a lot of family schedules to get people. For out sure. here. Yeah. But you know, it's funny when you have 13 kids and you start dating someone date one, has the intensity of like date thirty? You know, oh, you're like asking all the questions up front. Yes, yes. You get me and thirteen children. So there's that. Yeah. So he actually, it was really cute. He got all the girls in on the proposal. Oh. He like took them out for ice cream, and they helped him plan it, and then they all kept it a secret for like a week and a half.
1: That's a miracle in itself. It was. Patricia was like four or five. I mean, she was so little. Oh, yeah. So okay, so super fun and. and- And and you've been married for how long? We've been married for three and a half years. Okay. Okay. So tell me this, how old is your oldest? And then I know your youngest, I think you said is two. So what's the span of kids at your house?
2: Yeah. Our oldest is now 21 and headed off to college in the fall. Oh
1: my gosh. Um, And our youngest is two. Okay. You're sending a kid to college. I can't even believe that.
2: I can't even believe it either. And I think about my poor
1: parents all the time. <laughs> well, I can't even believe that you're 29 and you have a 21 year old. Isn't that just the crazy world that you live in? I know it is pretty crazy. And you know,
2: it's so funny when I was 20 and she was 12, it seemed like so different, you know? Yeah. uh huh. Like the age gap seemed a lot bigger because it's like this really clear, like adult kid thing, but totally, um, um, having adult kids is so fun.
1: Oh I bet. I can't wait. My oldest is 14 and we really are digging him. And so I can only imagine it's you know, awesome. Yeah.
2: And um, like pass through a kind
1: of a rough season, but man, they come out on the other side and it is so fun. I'm so excited. We love our we love raising teenagers. It's a lot of fun. So I know it'll be fun when they're older as well. Can
0: today.
1: Katie, what are you reading these days?
2: I have actually just started reading Ann Voskamp's new devotional, mm-hmm. and it's not in here right now, so somebody's going to have to help me with the name of it, but it has the word abundance in the title. Yep. Anyway, Anne's my favorite, and it is just so beautiful, and I feel like I'm in a season of just a lot of going, going, going and busy, busy. And so I haven't really had time to sit down and like digest a book in a while. But this devotional is just these perfect, like little sized pieces that I can pick it up in the morning and I can pick it up throughout the day. And it is so just saturated with truth. I'm loving it. The way of abundance. There it
1: is. Yes, that's it. Thank you. Yes, you're welcome. Okay. Are there any things that you're loving in life right now that just you're like, this is just a sweet spot?
2: You know, I am really, really loving, just like you were just saying, like this really cool season of having teenage kids and a two-year-old kid. Uh You know, I was worried even when we got pregnant, like, oh, the age gap is going to be so much and what if they're not able to relate to each other and what if they don't really know each other well, and you know things that moms worry about. I don't know. But, um, man, it is so, so much fun. I mean, our teenage kids, like, like you said, teenagers are just so fun and they have their own opinions and they're deciding who they are and they're having really interesting conversations. And then, To have also a two-year-old who's like constantly just learning new words and making us laugh and they all just adore each other. So I'm just in a season of like loving, loving family life. I'm also really loving, I've just recently kind of taken a break from social media and to be honest, I am very much loving that and I might not go back.
1: You haven't missed anything.
4: (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
2: all consumed you can get with just scrolling scrolling so i've tried to kind of you know in our sweet season of family i've tried to really pull back from that so that i can be more fully present and i've really enjoyed it
1: that's awesome that's awesome well katie i have enjoyed every minute of our conversation today and i'm so thankful for your life and your ministry and the words that you write in books and the encouragement that you're going to bring ladies as they listen to this so thank you so much for joining me Oh, thanks for having me. It was so fun. You guys, don't forget that we are right in the middle. Actually, we're not in the middle anymore. Guys, we're at the end of our August book club, which we've been reading the book, Just Mercy by Bryan Stevenson. It's a book that I think every American needs to read. I think I'll say that until the day that I die. If you didn't read it with this month, guys, go back and get it. It's okay. Go put in your Amazon cart to get when you have an extra $12, $15. Just Mercy by Bryan Stevenson was our August book club. Now for September, we're going to read my book that I wrote and released in January called If You Only Knew, my unlikely and unavoidable story of becoming free. I wrote this book as kind of a way for me to go first, for me to say, here's my story. Now let's be women who can share our stories because we know where our identity comes from, that our identity is not in our shame. Our identity is not in what we've done. Our identity is not in the things we've said or the things we wish we would have said, but our identity is in Christ alone. And so this is my story. And I'm offering a chance for us to read this together, talk about the ways that we can see God change lives through our stories. So come join us. It's easy to join. All you do is buy the book and then read it with us. I'll pop in on the Facebook group and do some live chats. I do some live chats over on Instagram as well. It's a lot of fun to grab some girlfriends and say, "Hey, let's read this together." Let's meet for a happy hour one night and talk about it. I like that idea right there. So get your book. If you only knew, you can get it on Amazon, you can get it on my store, jamieivy.com/store. You can get it at Lifeway. You can get it anywhere books are sold, you guys. Join us in September as we read If You Only Knew. You guys, I loved my conversation with Katie. I'm still so in awe of all that God has done with her life and how incredibly wise her encouragement is to us as we walk through the feelings of loss and joy in our lives. To learn more about the phenomenal work that Katie and her family does in Uganda, be sure to check out the links that I put up in my show notes every week for you guys. Everything is there, jamieivy.com slash blog. Today's show was edited by Chris with Podshaper and the music was developed for this show by Matt Graham. Next week, my guest is Jenna Kutcher. I'm sure if you don't know her before our conversation's over, you will love her. She has a podcast. She's a blogger. She used to be a photographer. We traveled to Guatemala last year. She's got a lot of wisdom about running the business, but we also talk about her journey with infertility. You're going to love our show next week. And it's the beginning of September, which just feels like a brand new year, doesn't it? Join me next week, first week in September with Jenna Kutcher. Guys, enjoy your week. Share the show with a girlfriend. Have a happy hour with a friend. And I'll see you guys back here next week on the happy hour with Jamie and Jenna. I like that. See you guys next week. Bye.
4: Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Your teams are buried in manual work. Tasks are taking forever to complete and getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you, then you should know these three numbers, 37,000. That's the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One. Because your business is one of a kind.